Please check the description for a link to paper copies of the books featured and upcoming as well as links to other products that will help support this podcast. Thanks for being awesome. Chapter 4. A Drop of Honey If your temper is aroused and you tell them a thing or two, you'll have a fine time unloading your feelings. But what about the other person? Will he share your pleasure? Will your belligerent tones, your hostile attitude, make it easy for him to agree with you? If you come at me with your fists doubled, said Woodrow Wilson, I think I can promise you that mine will double as fast as yours. But if you come to me and say, let us sit down and take counsel together, and if we differ from each other, understand why it is that we differ, just what the points at issue are, we will presently find that we are not so far apart after all, that the points on which we differ are few, and the points on which we agree are many, and that if we only have the patience and the candor and the desire to get together, we will get together." Nobody appreciated the truth of Woodrow Wilson's statement more than John D. Rockefeller, Jr. Back in 1915, Rockefeller was the most fiercely despised man in Colorado. One of the bloodiest strikes in the history of American industry had been shocking the state for two terrible years. Irate, belligerent miners were demanding higher wages from the Colorado Fuel and Iron Company. Rockefeller controlled that company. Property had been destroyed, troops had been called out, blood had been shed. Strikers had been shot, their bodies riddled with bullets. At a time like that, with the air seething with hatred, Rockefeller wanted to win the strikers to his way of thinking. And he did it. How? Here's the story. After weeks spent in making friends, Rockefeller addressed the representatives of the strikers. This speech, in its entirety, is a masterpiece. It produced astonishing results. It calmed the tempestuous waves of hate that threatened to engulf Rockefeller. It won him a host of admirers. It presented facts in such a friendly manner that the strikers went back to work without saying another word about the increase in wages for which they had fought so violently. The opening of that remarkable speech follows. Note how it fairly glows with friendliness. Rockefeller, remember, was talking to men who, a few days previously, had wanted to hang him by the neck to a sour apple tree. Yet he couldn't have been more gracious, more friendly, if he had addressed a group of medical missionaries. His speech was radiant with such phrases as, I am proud to be here, having visited in your homes, met many of your wives and children. We meet here not as strangers, but as friends spirit of mutual friendship, our common interests. It is only by your courtesy that I am here. This is a red-letter day in my life, Rockefeller began. It is the first time I have ever had the good fortune to meet the representatives of the employees of this great company, its officers and superintendents together, and I can assure you that I am proud to be here and that I shall remember this gathering as long as I live. Had this meeting been held two weeks ago, I should have stood here a stranger to most of you, recognizing a few faces. Having had the opportunity last week of visiting all the camps in the southern coal field and of talking individually with practically all of the representatives except those who were away, having visited in your homes, met many of your wives and children, we meet here not as strangers but as friends. 
and it is in that spirit of mutual friendship that I am glad to have this opportunity to discuss with you our common interests. Since this is a meeting of the officers of the company and the representatives of the employees, it is only by your courtesy that I am here, for I am not so fortunate as to be either one or the other. And yet I feel that I am intimately associated with you men, for, in a sense, I represent both the stockholders and the directors. Isn't that a superb example of the fine art of making friends out of enemies? Suppose Rockefeller had taken a different tack. Suppose he had argued with those miners and hurled devastating facts in their faces. Suppose he had told them by his tones and insinuations that they were wrong. Suppose that by all the rules of logic he had proved that they were wrong. What would have happened? More anger would have been stirred up, more hatred, more revolt. If a man's heart is rankling with discord and ill-feeling toward you, you can't win him to your way of thinking with all the logic in Christendom. Scolding parents and domineering bosses and husbands and nagging wives ought to realize that people don't want to change their minds. They can't be forced or driven to agree with you or me, but they may possibly be led to, if we are gentle and friendly, ever so gentle and ever so friendly. Lincoln said that, in effect, over a hundred years ago. Here are his words. It is an old and true maxim that a drop of honey catches more flies than a gallon of gall. So with men, if you would win a man to your cause, first convince him that you are his sincere friend. Therein is a drop of honey that catches his heart, which, say what you will, is the great high road to his reason. Business executives have learned that it pays to be friendly to strikers. For example, when 2,500 employees in the White Motor Company's plant struck for higher wages and a union shop, Robert F. Black, then president of the company, didn't lose his temper and condemn and threaten and talk of tyranny and communists. He actually praised the strikers. He published an advertisement in the Cleveland papers, complimenting them on the peaceful way in which they laid down their tools. Finding the strike pickets idle, he bought them a couple of dozen baseball bats and gloves and invited them to play ball on vacant lots. For those who preferred bowling, he rented a bowling alley. This friendliness on Mr. Black's part did what friendliness always does. It begot friendliness. So the strikers borrowed brooms, shovels, and rubbish carts and began picking up matches, papers, cigarette stubs, and cigar butts around the factory. Imagine it. Imagine strikers tidying up the factory grounds while battling for higher wages and recognition of the union. Such an event had never been heard of before in the long, tempestuous history of American labor wars. That strike ended with a compromise settlement within a week, ended without any ill-feeling or rancor. Daniel Webster, who looked like a god and talked like Jehovah, was one of the most successful advocates who ever pleaded a case. Yet he ushered in his most powerful arguments with such friendly remarks as, It will be for the jury to consider. This may perhaps be worth thinking of. Here are some facts that I trust you will not lose sight of. Or... You, with your knowledge of human nature, will easily see the significance of these facts. No bulldozing, no high-pressure methods, no attempt to force his opinions on others. 
Webster used the soft-spoken, quiet, friendly approach, and it helped to make him famous. You may never be called on to settle a strike or address a jury, but you may want to get your rent reduced. Will the friendly approach help you then? Let's see. O.L. Straub, an engineer, wanted to get his rent reduced, and he knew his landlord was hard-boiled. I wrote him, Mr. Straub said in a speech before the class, notifying him that I was vacating my apartment as soon as my lease expired. The truth was I didn't want to move. I wanted to stay if I could get my rent reduced, but the situation seemed hopeless. Other tenants had tried and failed. Everyone told me that the landlord was extremely difficult to deal with, but I said to myself, I'm studying a course in how to deal with people, so I'll try it on him and see how it works. He and his secretary came to see me as soon as he got my letter. I met him at the door with a friendly greeting. I fairly bubbled with goodwill and enthusiasm. I didn't begin talking about how high the rent was. I began talking about how much I liked his apartment house. Believe me, I was hearty in my approbation and lavish in my praise. I complimented him on the way he ran the building, and I told him I should like so much to stay for another year, but I couldn't afford it. He evidently never had such a reception from a tenant. He hardly knew what to make of it. Then he started to tell me his troubles. Complaining tenants, one had written him 14 letters, some of them positively insulting. Another threatened to break his lease unless the landlord kept the man on the floor above from snoring. What a relief it is, he said, to have a satisfied tenant like you. And then, without my even asking him to do it, he offered to reduce my rent a little. I wanted more, so I named the figure I could afford to pay, and he accepted without a word. As he was leaving, he turned to me and asked, What decorating can I do for you? If I tried to get the rent reduced by the methods the other tenants were using, I am positive I would have met with the same failure they encountered. It was the friendly, sympathetic, appreciative approach that won. Dean Woodcock of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, is the superintendent of a department of the local electric company. His staff was called upon to repair some equipment on top of a pole. This type of work had formerly been performed by a different department and had only recently been transferred to Woodcock's section. Although his people had been trained in the work, this was the first time they ever actually had been called upon to do it. Everybody in the organization was interested in seeing if and how they could handle it. Mr. Woodcock, several of his subordinate managers, and members of the other departments of the utility went to see the operation. Many cars and trucks were there, and a number of people were standing around watching the two lone men on top of the pole. Glancing around, Woodcock noticed a man up the street getting out of his car with a camera. He began taking pictures of the scene. Utility people are extremely conscious of public relations, and suddenly Woodcock realized what this setup looked like to the man with the camera. Overkill, dozens of people being called out to do a two-person job. He strolled up the street to the photographer. I see you're interested in our operation. Yes, and my mother will be more than interested. She owns stock in your company. This will be an eye-opener for her. She may even decide her investment was unwise. I've been telling her for years that there's a lot of waste motion in companies like yours. This proves it. The newspapers might like these pictures, too. Well, it does look like it, doesn't it? I'd think the same thing in your position, but this is a unique situation. 
And Dean Woodcock went on to explain how this was the first job of this type for his department and how everybody, from executives down, was interested. He assured the man that under normal conditions, two people could handle the job. The photographer put away his camera, shook Woodcock's hand, and thanked him for taking the time to explain the situation to him. Dean Woodcock's friendly approach saved his company much embarrassment and bad publicity. Another member of one of our classes, Gerald H. Wynn of Littleton, New Hampshire, reported how, by using a friendly approach, he obtained a very satisfactory settlement on a damage claim. Early in the spring, he reported, before the ground had thawed from the winter freezing, there was an unusually heavy rainstorm, and the water, which normally would have run off to nearby ditches and storm drains along the road, took a new course onto a building lot where I just built a new home. Not being able to run off, the water pressure built up around the foundation of the house. The water forced itself under the concrete basement floor, causing it to explode, and the basement filled with water. This ruined the furnace and the hot water heater. The cost to repair this damage was in excess of $2,000. I had no insurance to cover this type of damage. However, I soon found out that the owner of the subdivision had neglected to put in a storm drain near the house, which could have prevented this problem. I made an appointment to see him. During the 25-mile trip to his office, I carefully reviewed the situation, and remembering the principles I learned in this course, I decided that showing my anger would not serve any worthwhile purpose. When I arrived, I kept very calm, and started by talking about his recent vacation to the West Indies. And then, when I felt the timing was right, I mentioned the little problem of water damage. He quickly agreed to do his share in helping to correct the problem. A few days later, he called and said he would pay for the damage and also put in a storm drain to prevent the same thing from happening in the future. Even though it was the fault of the owner of the subdivision, if I had not begun in a friendly way, there would have been a great deal of difficulty in getting him to agree to the total liability. Years ago, when I was a barefoot boy walking through the woods to a country school out in northwest Missouri, I read a fable about the sun and the wind. They quarreled about which was the stronger, and the wind said, I'll prove I am. See the old man down there with a the coat? I can get that coat off him quicker than you can. So the sun went behind a cloud, and the wind blew until it was almost a tornado. But the harder it blew, the tighter the old man clutched his coat to him. Finally, the wind calmed down and gave up, and then the sun came out from behind the clouds and smiled kindly on the old man. Presently, he mopped his brow and pulled off his coat. The sun then told the wind that gentleness and friendliness were always stronger than fury and force. The use of gentleness and friendliness is demonstrated day after day by people who have learned that a drop of honey catches more flies than a gallon of gall. F. Gale Connor of Lutherville, Maryland, proved this when he had to take his four-month-old car to the service department of the car dealer for the third time. He told our class, It was apparent that talking to, reasoning with, or shouting at the service manager was not going to lead to a satisfactory resolution of my problems. I walked over to the showroom and asked to see the agency owner, Mr. White. After a short wait, I was ushered into Mr. White's office. I introduced myself 
and explained to him that I had bought my car from his dealership because of the recommendation of friends who had had previous dealings with him. I was told that his prices were very competitive and that his service was outstanding. He smiled with satisfaction as he listened to me. Then I explained the problem that I was having with the service department. I thought you might want to be aware of any situation that might tarnish your fine reputation, I added. He thanked me for calling this to his attention and assured me that my problem would be taken care of. Not only did he personally get involved, but he also lent me his car to use while mine was being repaired. Aesop was a Greek slave who lived at the court of Croesus and spun immortal fables 600 years before Christ. Yet the truths he taught about human nature are just as true in Boston and Birmingham now as they were 26 centuries ago in Athens. The sun can make you take off your coat more quickly than the wind, and kindliness, the friendly approach, and appreciation can make people change their minds more readily than all the bluster and storming in the world. Remember what Lincoln said, a drop of honey catches more flies than a gallon of gall. Principle 4. Begin in a friendly way.